Hello everyone and welcome to my new podcast Going Purple with me Lissy McIntosh where we get to talk about serious F1 stuff in a not so serious way. Hello everyone, I am so happy to finally be giving you all my first podcast episode. I say finally because I have probably recorded this part of the podcast I'm gonna say 12 times (laughs) and I have recorded the interview section of the podcast twice. I have had a pretty scatterbrain week and have recorded this multiple times as I say and (laughs) every time something has gone wrong there's just like a loud humming there is just no audio there's way too much audio so hopefully I'll get the hang of it this time luckily I also had someone on the episode today who was so generous with her time and agreed to come back and have our chat again after the first one sounded like we were completely submerged underwater Let me start this episode by explaining the ethos behind Going Purple, who I am, and how that all links into the podcast. My name is Lissy McIntosh, and I currently create Formula One content over on TikTok to an incredible 17,500 of you. I do that alongside my job in most sports social media and as my role as a contributing F1 journalist at a few online most sport magazines. I love what I do so much and to be honest I didn't expect to love creating videos and content as much as I do but here we are and I'll be honest the last few months have been life-changing so do you know what I thought Let's put one big fat middle finger up to that three minute time limit and come over here and create a podcast where we could dig deeper and talk about bigger issues in Formula One and wider topics and hopefully bring on lots of interesting guests. Now, one thing that's always driven what I do online or I try to do online is trying to undermine the fact that there is so much toxicity that comes with being a female sports fan and... What I mean by that is I feel like it's so normalised that a girl with an interest in sport is just naturally questioned about her authenticity as a sports fan. I know for one I've dealt with this so many multiple times online but also just in so many social situations in my day-to-day life where you know, people have brought up Formula One and only looked to the guys as people to converse with and kind of just laugh off what I have to say and don't really engage with my interests or my knowledge in Formula One seriously. And I've gone to a race with someone who's told me, don't ask too many questions, I will annoy the guys. I've introduced myself as a Formula One content creator to a guy who asked me to explain word for word what downforce was if I really knew so much about it. I did it, word for word, to show him who was boss, but equally, whilst I respond to these people because I know it makes them feel so awkward for ever doubting me, on principle, women, young people, you don't need to justify yourselves. Let this be a reminder that women, new fans of Formula One, young fans of Formula One, 
you can totally have confidence in not even your knowledge of Formula One, but also just your interest in it. And a man would never be questioned on his validity of being a sports fan, whether that's football or F1 or NFL. And funnily enough, (laughs) you can be the girliest of girls and be just as serious a Formula One fan as a guy who plays football and goes to watch the races with the lads. And Actually, to add to that, here's a reminder to those of you who still think you need to compete about how long you've been a fan of the sport and how much of a true Formula One fan you are. As viewers, we are literally not the competitors and sport is made to be enjoyed and entertaining and not make someone feel like they have to defend themselves or justify themselves. Here's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and that's this kind of reminder I suppose to anyone who's interested in Formula One and has never felt welcome. Take up your space as a sports fan even if people are going to make you feel like you're not welcome. You are so welcome and this is a space for you. This is a place where you can come and be yourself. I think one of the reasons that TikTok has been so life-changing for me is just the fact that what we've built together and the community we've built online is so unique in the way that I'm also a young person. I'm also just starting out in a career in motorsports and I also don't know everything about Formula One. I learn more and more about the sport every single day. It is easily the most confusing sport in the world one of the most technical I would argue and I think it's really cool that we kind of got to go on this journey together and keep learning things together and keep growing together and that is so important to me is feeling like you all feel like you're part of whatever I'm doing as well and I don't know I think it's so cool to be able to come in with that perspective of like I am literally also just a consumer of Formula One content and I am also someone who's always learning about Formula One and I never want to stop learning about Formula One and that's just to say I'm really really happy for you know how incredible things have been over the last few months but also that I am I come at this with a perspective which is very much you know very similar to all of you listening to this. Now As I say, I've been following Formula One for many years and I was always so frustrated at the fact that there was no one who looked like me on screen. I am, you know, a young mixed race woman and I think it's so interesting because now young people, and I go even further to say especially young women, other people, Formula One is kind of benefiting off and benefiting off as an audience because we use social media and we're easy to market sport to and so you know with that I've always just wanted to try and do my bit to create a kind of safer space online where those people can come and reclaim some space for ourselves so I won't be going anywhere on TikTok I love the fact that I get to create shorter and more informative content on there Um, But alongside that, expect a monthly podcast from me and hopefully that will get more frequent as the season starts. With all that being said and also with the hope that I got it all right that time, let me introduce the topics that we will be discussing in this podcast episode today and then let me introduce my first guest. 
The first thing I wanted to talk about today was social media in Formula One and how social media is so necessary for Formula One to stay relevant, as well as how F1 content creators are changing the game, although I might be a bit biased. The reason I speak about this is because, especially with Formula One, social media is such a crucial way for viewers and fans to get to know the drivers because... You know, I think if you just clicked onto a Formula One race not knowing anything about the sport, you would be so lost. Understandably, like you can't see the drivers' faces, they're wearing helmets, they're moving so quickly. Whose number is who? There's a lot of jargon that's thrown around in Formula One, and I think that's why Drive to Survive has done such incredible things. It shows the human side of the sport and it allows us to get to know the drivers, and that's great. Equally, whilst I think it's a great thing that we get to know the drivers on the show, one thing I do feel really strongly about is the fact that there is a fine line between being a driver and being a celebrity. And I personally don't think Formula One drivers need to be present on social media. You know, being an F1 driver is a job. It's like their literal job. And so sure, fame kind of comes with that job. But I don't think that a driver's popularity on social media should be key for getting new fans into the sport because that puts an unfair amount of pressure on them when, as I say, it is their job. Another topic I bring up in this episode is toxicity in Formula One media. As I've said, toxicity in sport online is so harsh and actually, I would say especially in sports kind of fandoms or communities online because in a sport you always want one person or one team to win and there are just these massive open forums online comment sections etc where people can come and just say whatever they want to say and I think social media in Formula One is such a double-edged sword because as I've mentioned that's kind of the thing that gets new fans involved but it's also the place where those new fans can get so much hate for not being real fans of the sport or only having joined because of things like grill the grid or drive to survive now flipping that onto the driver side of things i thought it was a topical issue considering how lewis and nicholas latifi both took breaks from socials after abu dhabi just because as i say of the way that social media can be so unfiltered and nasty content creator wise i just think content creators are majorly changing the games in terms of formula one i know i don't get paid for what i do on tiktok and i do it because i love the sport and i think that's so cool to see i do hope that formula one can start interacting with these people more and recognize that maybe that is the way forward the last thing we talk about in this episode is why formula one isn't more popular in the states specifically now i moved to new york city for three months after i left uni and i (laughs) i loved it the fact that there isn't a trader joe's in the uk seriously makes me upset and if you live in the u.s and you take Target for granted, I have serious words for you. Anyway, every time I spoke about Formula One, some people knew exactly what I was talking about, but I would say the majority of people that I met didn't really know what Formula One was, and I definitely wondered why that was the case. Now, (laughs) for the moment, I think I've been waiting for my entire life. Let me introduce my first podcast guest. Now, for this episode, I could not miss the opportunity to bring on one of Formula One TikTok's absolute fan favourites, 
the incredible fake Robert, also known as Taylor. Taylor lives in New York and is currently social media editor at The Cut and Vivan Board, but we actually met through TikTok, where she makes funny, sarcastic and chatty F1 videos to her 24,000 followers. Witty, casually hilarious and not afraid to say what she thinks, Taylor's perspective on Formula One is so refreshing. I hope you enjoy our chat. Well, Taylor, thank you for coming back on the podcast again. You, as I say, are a massive lifesaver and I'm very excited for our second conversation. As I say, today's podcast is going to be all about social media in Formula One, how social media in terms of content creators and team socials have shifted interaction with the sport. And I also want to talk a little bit about why Formula One isn't more popular than it is, especially in the States. Does that all sound... I mean, you've heard it before, but does it sound good? It sounds perfect. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad. Thank you. Well, my first question, as you very well know, is that you do work in social media for The Cut and for Viva Maud. Do you think Formula One, its teams and the drivers do enough on social media to stay relevant and encourage new fans to join the sport? I think that... Some of the teams do and some of the drivers do and then Mm -hmm. some don't. But Mm -hmm. the few teams that like pull forward in terms of social media, they like raise everyone up too. And I've said before, like, I don't follow the official F1 Instagram account. You know, since you said that, I've really kind of been questioning my own decision as well. I'm like, how do they not run out of things to post? Post like 15 times a day. And I reached a point where every time I would refresh my page with three new posts and I just got (laughs) exhausted. But I think... Yeah, a lot of the teams, especially I think McLaren leads in this Mm -hmm. regard, they post a lot probably because or just knowing that, let's say, Danny and Lando don't post super often. Mm -hmm. They've been trudging forward with content during this break, which has been great. In in previous, Lewis Hamilton was great at Instagram as well. But as we know, he's taking a bit of a, a break, bow of silence. Maybe. I wonder what he'll come back with if he doesn't retire. Will it just be like a gym selfie? Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> As if nothing's happened, just like exactly. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Here's Roscoe. Right, but yeah, I think I think some of the teams, the teams that do enough, do enough for the entire sport. Um, okay, and yeah. same with the drivers. I think I completely agree, and I think I would add to that and say that McLaren does completely get it right, more so than a team maybe like Alpine or Aston Martin, which who aren't mm. so present on social media. And I think that's the way to do it. You know, it takes that pressure off of Lando and Daniel. And as I've said before, I don't think it's a driver's job to be on social media in the slightest. And we're not entitled to know about a driver's personal life just because we feel like, and maybe that's where Drive to Survive creates a slightly false illusion that we know the drivers or even the YouTube videos that McLaren creates. Like, Maybe it gives us this reality or this false reality, I should say, that we know the drivers and we are entitled to know about what's going on in their personal lives. Right. From what I've seen online, people are so comfortable invading sports people's privacy. And I just I don't think that's right. I think that the line between being a sports person and being a celebrity or being an athlete and being a celebrity does need to be drawn more harshly. Right. I completely agree with you. I think any sort of social media presence or account that a driver would have, I take yeah. as a bonus. Yeah. I don't take it granted. And I obviously don't think that we're owed it in any way. But no, when the driver's all online, it's like a nice, it's like a nice thing to see. And I think yeah. a lot of what the drivers do, um, not the drivers, the teams, they keep 
not as if Formula One or say Daniel Ricardo will ever be irrelevant, but they keep it like at top <laughs> of mind. Like it's it's completely possible for like, you know, the drivers be like, this is our time off. Yeah. For the next three months, you will not hear me. You will not see from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At all. But I think the, the teams, like they just keep like a nice, heavy, like a healthy flow of content to keep yeah. it, like, keep us all aware of it, you know? I mean, yeah, I think actually the world of social media is a tricky one because even people I know, my age, I'm 22. I think people over maybe 19, 20 actually don't, a lot of them don't have TikTok and that's Instagram territory. And then having to stay fresh and relevant to all platforms, I can imagine is difficult as well. So, well, that leads me nicely onto my second question about Formula One social media and whether you think it's too toxic. Now I use the word toxic in two terms, I suppose. One on the level of the drivers and, you know, Lewis taking a break and just actually the abuse that sometimes drivers get online, even Nicholas Latifi. But I also mean it kind of in the sense of F1 content creators, yourself included. I think it's a thing with sporting in general. You see it with like NFL fans, especially in America, NFL fans, basketball fans, what have you. I mm. think everyone's not exempt of that. I do think, and I can't really, I can't really say I think it's more or less toxic because I truly don't spend other time and yeah. time in other yeah. fandoms because I don't yeah. watch any other sports, but I think the F1 community can be incredibly toxic, especially, and I think it's different on each platform. I think I said this last time, but like Twitter is absolute hellscape. I remember years ago before I even watched Formula One, it was when um, like Lewis Hamilton had won and he did like the Wakanda salute in like memory of Chadwick Boseman. And I just tweeted it being like, oh, that's cool. Not yeah. knowing who Lewis Hamilton is, not watching the sport. And I got people responding to me being like, he's a cheater. And I was like, <laughs> like I didn't even watch the sport at that point. I was like, oh, so I'm like, what did I just step into? It's always going to be a case with like the, the, what is it? The squeakiest wheels get the most grease, whatever the saying is. Where it's like, oh, I love that. I haven't comments. heard of that. Well, it's like the people who are the loudest get the most attention. Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of really cool people in like F1 on social media and a lot mm-hmm. more people joining. Yeah. Eventually our voice will like overpower the few. Yeah, I hope so. Jerks. But yeah, I do think it can be pretty toxic. I completely agree. And I think, you know, to be honest, some of that confrontation, I suppose, is part and parcel of being a sports fan and you know even after Abu Dhabi I think most people experienced this I thought I had posted pretty neutral TikTok that video in particular the comment section was crazy people were just going ham and I was like oh my god you know what I'm saying obviously you know everyone wants one person to win or a team or whatever but it's crazy it's a lot because I feel like you and I are sort of like the dailies like we check in on TikTok every oh, day so either we post every day or we're just on every day and I think after Abu Dhabi there were a bunch of people who we just didn't on the everyday like yeah I agree people who just come out of the woodwork or people who like don't really comment or make videos all of a yeah. sudden we're like I need to speak up and of course, my voice just, is being heard today I was like okay, right. you do it's like that's like a result of it being such a close race and such a debated yeah. outcome yeah, yeah. but as well as these where it's like no one aside from like max like yeah. no one won because if you were a max fan and you celebrated online like yeah. fans jumped down your throat if you were a mm-hmm. Lewis fan say like he was robbed which he was um, <laughs> just uh, throw it in there. it was one of those things where like everyone everywhere like no one was really like allowed to be as happy or upset as they wanted to be so then it's yeah. like a bunch of clashing online 100 i mean it's interesting i remember you saying that you live in New York you just said you live in Brooklyn which is Mm -hmm. very cool and I wonder 
how you kind of got involved in Formula One as an American fan and how as well we could get more American fans involved in the sport and why you don't think Formula One is so popular in the States or more popular, maybe I should say. I mean, I was looking at some of the viewing stats for some of the finales recently. So the NBA finale with the Bucks and the Suns, 12.5 million views, just the Euro Cup had 328 million views and then the F1 2021 finale had 7.4 and I just kind of think do you think Formula One isn't popular because it's not as accessible you can't just go and drive an F1 car around it's so expensive right I got into the sport it sort of was like the perfect for a lot of people the perfect storm of like pandemic and like nothing to do and just stuck at home watch every sport on tv I was watching Tiger King, <laughs> um, <laughs> but my roommate who's been on my TikTok a couple of times, um, his father works in like motorsport in the States. So suddenly Is that NASCAR or IndyCar? No, it's, I actually don't exactly know, but okay. I know that it is motorsport. And it's for the <laughs> Something in there. For, I think the Porsche team, oh, whatever iteration cool. they're in, yep. but suddenly, you know, I'm home seven days a week so I can watch something I can watch a qualifying a practice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm just home so I got really into it then so maybe around like 2020 2019 ish I can't remember when the pandemic even started it's been far too long if anything just the (laughs) 2000s in general but I think part of the I actually thought about this more after we got off last time I think Mm. part of the reason why F1 isn't as popular in the U.S. as it is other places Mm -hmm. is that there's not necessarily like a like a homegrown knowledge of it, which is to say like when I was in like elementary school in gym class, you could have like a week where you play basketball together mm-hmm. or you play soccer together or you play mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, obviously you can't play F1. Yeah. And this is true everywhere in the world, but you know, just knowing from a young age, like, oh, this is what basketball is. And you yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a basketball game on TV. So it's like, that's sort of like- They all kind of link in. When you're a kid, it's fun to play. You know, what you see sports stars play, you can't jump in an F1 car. It's expensive as hell. I just think that this is like awareness of what a sport is and integration mm-hmm. into daily life that F1 didn't have in the US. Yeah. So because we can't play in school, all you can do is sort of like watch it on TV or like yeah. maybe know someone. So it seems, and to me, it still feels this way. It still feels very word of mouth. And like, I think we can give yeah. a lot of credit to Drive to Survive and things like that. But I really do think like, people just like talking about it to their friends like I've got maybe two or three of my friends to watch it because my roommate got me to watch it rather mm-hmm. than like and yeah of course Drive to Survive was a massive push but I do yeah. think the way for this to increase is just word of mouth which then means that F1 itself as an entity I think yeah. should invest more in fans and fan experience. Yeah I completely agree with you and I think actually if anything I mean obviously Races should be cheaper. I think F1 is, seems like this distant thing that's like, what do the cars actually sound like in person? What do they look like? You know, how big are they in real life? It's kind of like you kind of picture all these things kind of. And I agree with you too that I think races should either be less expensive. I just think yeah. the way that I or other Americans, to speak for all of us, all of us <laughs> like, go ahead. I would see going to an F1 race like going to a sporting event. Because if I want to go see the Knicks play, Buy mm-hmm. a ticket on your phone. It won't break the bank entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Pop it in trade and go. Whereas I'm looking at, because I'm going to Silverstone next year. Woo-hoo. And I'm thinking it's more like, to me, like I think Americans see it as like a travel destination or like a vacation. Yeah. Even if you're not going to a new country, say I was going to Texas or mm-hmm. uh, Miami, it's still like, 
booking travel, booking hotels. I, I don't think anyone wants necessarily seeing an F1 experience to be like a super casual like thing that we don't care about, but no. I still think there's ways to make it easier and more accessible. Mm-hmm. I think also what you said about um, traveling, Formula One is such a global sport and the amount of time zone confusions across the world, I have missed multiple free practices. I have been hours early for a qualifying because every race that they go to, the times change. Even just on a logistical level, the the viewing times of a Formula One race don't really fit in to like US timing schedules. And it's not really practical for someone to wake up at 6am every Sunday for like most of the year to watch a race. It's interesting what you said about not having an American grown knowledge of what Formula One is. I also feel like there aren't really like American grown drivers. I know like when Fernando Alonso does well or whatever, my friends who are who live in Spain or are Spanish are kind of like so over the moon for that. And especially I think with British drivers, you're backing the drivers, you know, who were born in Britain, etc. And the only real team I can think about that's kind of linked with the US is Haas. So yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. It is interesting. Oh, actually something I completely forgot to ask you about last time was what it was like to see Lewis at the Met Gala and your experience with that. And tell me all about it. I'm so upset I didn't ask you last time. Well, this is why it's perfect that we're doing this again. (laughs) Exactly. It was a lot. I mean, the entirety of going to the Met Gala is that it's it's because it looks so big when you see pictures of it or TV. Yeah. You watch it on television. I don't even know if it's televised, but maybe YouTube. But it's really just like the steps entering the museum. So it's very small, condensed space. Okay. And of course, like the call was where like black tie formal, which I realize now could have been ignored. But You looked incredible i saw your picture today yeah, she was the, the moment <laughs> um, and it's one of those things where just sort of how the met operates that unless you're vogue itself or a mm-hmm. condit publication people don't have to stop and talk to you at all so what okay. you're doing basically is you're on the sidelines as basically a sporting event screaming someone's <laughs> name and hoping, so Adam i screamed like I got to have a brief chat with Frank Ocean, which was so shocking. Wow! I didn't expect him to come, like, stop and talk, but whatever. Okay. So it's about, it's the bottom of the ninth, which is to say, it's been, like, hours. And I I feel in my spirit that Lewis is going to be there. There's no confirmation. Okay. okay. Like, oh, they don't sure. tell you who's coming next. They're not like, no, Lewis. Not Unless, and of course, the people who, like, help chair the event, which I think uh-huh. is, like, Timothy John and Billy Eilish, so you expect them to be there. I just assumed Lewis would be there because he was there in the past. Yeah, but yeah. Famously, the day before that was Monza when he had like yeah. Max on his head. So yeah. like, he could not. Maybe, know. you know, needs a day off. Maybe he should just rest. But it's so iconic that he went from a crash to, to the, the fucking uh, Met Gala. It's like how he went from Abu Dhabi to just getting his knighthood. It, the guy knows how to turn a situation around. I would I would shudder to look at that man's schedule. Uh, so I'm standing there and like I I'm at the very top. To people mm-hmm. come up the steps. I'm looking down. Okay. I see Hamilton and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and the second I saw him, I'm like, this is this might be incredibly embarrassing for me, but I like agreed with my own self mm-hmm. to completely throw all dignity out the window. I'm like, this is my one shot. I'm sorry. Good. I'm I'm take one for the team. We gotta do it. I, so the second he gets in what I think is like even earshot, I'm just screaming his name. I screamed his name. I screamed 24 to show him that I was a fan. I was, I'm not kidding. I was like, the people around me were like, who even is that? And I was like, shut up. This is not Anything me. you can think of. Um, 
And it reached the point when you, when it was obvious he wasn't going to stop and do like interviews because like, okay, why would he, he does that enough in his daily life. <laughs> so then I, I and the people around me adopted this thing where we would just ask someone to like turn and look this way because okay. like what they think is going to be like, oh, a photograph, which there might've been. <laughs> I was just like, look over, please look at me. <laughs> Hello. Um, so I like screamed like, oh, Lewis, can you look this way? And he looked at me and I was like, that is crazy. And then like, I don't know if, I think I've posted it in various different forms with various different audios across all social media. You got a wink, didn't you? It's debated whether it's a wink. It I, is. I saw it. It's I a wink. I didn't think it was. And then oh. others were saying it was. And I, I go back and forth every day. But <laughs> at the in the original audio, like after he looks at me, I literally let out like such a guttural groan, like a death rattle, <laughs> you will. And I was just like, there he goes. Like he's just in, he's just in there. He, we're just breathing the same air. And I imagine, because you've been to an F1 race, correct? I have, I have. I imagine it's weird to like see like a car go and you're like, I know who's in there. I know. Like the actual person is there. Like I was standing outside of this Met gal. I'm like, he is in that building. Like he's right in there. And yeah. I just know that. I can't do anything about it. But overall, it was fun. I hope to go again. Um, but if not, like I got everything I needed. I mean, <laughs> that yeah, night. that's pretty freaking cool. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you've got a Mercedes full house now. Or Yep. I suppose you've got another one to do next season, but I would love to know how it was also talking to Valtteri Bottas. It was great. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, I'm just coming down from the high of the Met Gala story. Cause like the, the <laughs> Valtteri Bottas is up there as well. Same, same. No, he's up there, but it was way less screaming and yeah. heart palpitations, even though I was incredibly nervous because yeah. I'm like, this isn't a driver. Like you can go in. I think you can go in with like, I say a Danny Rick and do like a bad interview, but like, he's going to yeah. be laughing, you know, cause he makes it a point to like laugh through all the pain. With like someone, let's say like a Valtteri, maybe even like a Kimmy where it's like, you never oh, know. Kimmy like, would be, oh, Kimmy no, would Kimmy's be brutal. Brutal. So I'm like, Valtteri's not less, like, he's very funny, which you learned from TikTok. But yeah. He's not like going to be like a, you know, like a, that kind of fun guy. Uh-huh. So I like went into my office, which I never do. And it was great. I like logged on because it was over Zoom, obviously. Love it. And it was like, I could see him because I tried to like hop on two minutes early. So I, I could be like, whatever. Just, but he was like yeah. already there. And I was like, my entrance, the media day setup was just like laptop yeah. backdrop and mm-hmm. whatever. So it was me and him. And then like three or four more like just blacked out boxes. Oh yeah. Is that a bit unsettling? It wasn't unsettling because I expected it because I'm like, this is this is a very guarded pro. Like, this They're is, not going to let us like, just have a conversation. <laughs> I'm not just going to have it me and him and like, I just choose. Like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so it was great. He was really fun. I asked him about, it's the link is still pinned in my TikTok. So mm-hmm. if anyone wants to read it. But Everyone go read I asked that. Him about the carrot drink. I asked him like, <laughs> I have a weekend in Finland, which I do. And it was like, he was oh, I really loved his response. That was very detailed. Very detailed and also like I don't think he understands what like normal people time management is when like, I can't do all of those things, but like thank you for letting me know. But overall, great ten out of ten would would recommend if you ever see Valtteri Bottas, maybe try to have a conversation with him because he's we'll really nice. on the podcast. I, next time, I think maybe the three of us. Yep. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, to round things up, I suppose, I would love to ask you a little bit about next season and mm-hmm. also I don't think we decided on one last time we spoke, but also a little bit about your hottest take for next season. Right. Okay. I actually thought more about this since our last time together. Okay. I, I think my hottest take will be that I know everyone's talking about like the new regs and like it'll be a lot yep. close racing. Mm-hmm. I don't think there will be. I think it'll still really? be like two or, three, two or three teams, two or three or four drivers just pulling far ahead. I just, every time I've expected things to be like, oh, it's going to be a closer race mm-hmm. and like blah, blah, blah. I don't think, I think, 
it, that's a hot take. Not going to happen. It's still going to be <laughs> super like front runners midfield. And I hope to be wrong. Yeah. But. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I hope aerodynamically the car works. Maybe, maybe as we rephrase it, it'll be closer in midfield. I think my hottest take I've decided is that Georgia Lewis... I kind of could see that competitive side of George coming out. I, I reckon we could see a little bit of head-to-head, a little bit of pushback from George maybe, and a little bit of resistance if they try and make him like the second driver or Lewis's helper. I could see that getting... Interesting. I think my hard take is that for some reason, somehow George Russell will be like a, a, a season decider. He's going to be the one to watch in the way that like... At the end of the very last race, Nicholas Tiffy became like the man with all the power. <laughs> I think at some point, like George Russell will just be like the guy who's like, we don't know what he's going to do. Um, we don't know. I don't necessarily Something. predict a head to head with them this year. I think we're still trying to get that Lewis eighth. We're still trying to like, you know, come back from, mm-hmm. like, I don't think anyone wants to be in Lewis's way next year. No, no, no. Other but than Max. It will ultimately be also his reputation era. But yeah. I think starting 2023, mm-hmm. it's going to be absolute head-to-head between the two of them yeah fair enough I love it well it has been amazing chatting to you thank you so much I'll let you go and say hi to your roommate but as I say thank you thank you thank you for having me again I'm happy at all it it looks like everything is recording from I I mean I hope so because I don't think we could do this at that time I'm willing to talk to you like 50 times I'm more refined and like beautiful answer by the way before we hop off yeah I'm still rattling at the tiktok i posted the other day of the man on the plane did you oh watch it when he's zooming into lando's instagram just to give some background to that obviously planes no one has wi-fi i bought mm-hmm. wi-fi i refuse mm-hmm. to be out of the loop but we went into everyone's doing their phones back people are texting loved ones people are calling i see this man who was that the first thing he did first thing he did and oh what's crazy God. i didn't start recording sooner but he did the same to pierre gasly's account where he like scrolled Found the girlfriend, clicked on her profile, did a deep dive. And he did no, the same I was having some and, thoughts um, on that flight. Right. And with Max, too, like just going a deep dive onto Kelly PK's Instagram. And I was kind of being oh like, God. interesting. Like, I always expected, like, you know, you see the Lando fangirls online, mm-hmm. but like, interesting to see that the Lando fangirls oh, like, just like a grown oh, man on a plane. But anyway, well, you know what? I hope, I hope he's okay. Wherever he is, I hope he finds happiness the brunette woman of his dreams (laughs) well thank you so much taylor and i will see you very soon thank you well i don't know about you but i thought taylor was the perfect first guest to have on the podcast and i really enjoyed our conversation both times we had it her stories about going to the Met Gala and seeing Lewis Hamilton and interviewing Valtteri Bottas made me laugh so much and I love the casual kind of more chatty tone that we got to have in this episode. As I say, I'm so excited about this podcast and just the fact that we get to have a chatty Formula One hub. So please let me know what you thought of the podcast episode on my Instagram at Lissy McIntosh and my TikTok, which is also at Lissy McIntosh. Feel free to also let me know what you'd like to be seeing on the podcast, whether you'd like more technical episodes, etc, etc. And I will do my best to make each and every one very, very exciting for you. Well, until next time, guys, have an incredible week. Thank you for listening and I will see you very soon. Bye.